loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Angela Himsel. Angela's memoir, A River Could Be a Tree, received the New York City Big Book Award for memoir in 2019. Her Rock Hour award-winning column, Anjatevka, appeared weekly at Zeke.net. Anjatevka juxtaposed her current Jewish world of kosher coke and Kabbalah on the Upper West Side of Manhattan with her fundamentalist Christian upbringing in Jasper, Indiana, as the seventh of 11 children waiting for Jesus to return. Himsel's writing has been published in the New York Times, The Jewish Week, The Forward, Lilith, Book, The Partisan Review, Shmata, Baum, and online at beliefnet.com, ducts.org, and damemagazine.com. Himsel studied at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem for two years, earning her bachelor's degree in religious studies from Indiana University. She also holds an MA in creative writing from City College. Welcome, Angela. Thanks for having me. Very glad to have you. You know, I, I could read your book from so many different directions. I really appreciated it. But I was realizing before we got on today that one thing that that um, touched me was what it takes to, um, in general, leave one belief system and 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 embrace another, um, which of course, when I came out as a lesbian, I had to do. When I left, my my father was a minister. When I left that church, I had to do. Right. You know these these things that challenge us to um, uh, to really look at what we believe and what we want to hold on to. Um, but let's let's let the listeners in a bit on, uh, you know, obviously your bio referred a bit to um, the heart of your book, which is leaving a fundamentalist. Um, I guess we could say cult. Do you, do you resonate it is, with that it word? It actually is considered a cult, and it's a funny thing because I, when I was writing this, I had a very hard time saying that four-letter word, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the cult word. Um, I would call it wacky. It was kooky. It was fundamentalist. It was many things, but saying cult felt like, you know, Jim Jones drink the Kool-Aid, but then I realized, yeah, we probably would have. You know, yeah, mm. we, we might have. <laughs> yep. And yeah. so it was. I mean, I think that cult meaning brainwashing when you um, it's the only religion, you know, it's the only and even as many people who may tell you, no, 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 that's a cult. That's a cult. It's like, well, you see, they don't have the Holy Spirit. If they didn't have the Holy Spirit, they would know they're wrong. And I think that that's one of the earmarks of being in a cult is that you really cannot see it for what it is. And it actually took me a long time to see it, even after I left. 
Yes, I've interviewed a few other uh, people who who have had an experience, not the same religions, but right. the same experience of leaving. And uh, if you're, I guess we could say, indoctrinated in a certain way of looking at things, gosh, it's so hard to say, maybe it's not true. That's right. I mean, I think that's one of the big liberating moments, I think, in my life was when I discovered I might be wrong. And it's so nice to realize, wow, I could be wrong. Isn't that great? You know, we're always so trying to be right, but it's so liberating to acknowledge and enjoy the possibility that I could be wrong. And therefore, there could be a whole other path there that I just don't even know about. And that you could... Uh, instead of then thinking, well, anything could be untrue, you know, right, right, <laughs> anything could be wrong. Right, to right. kind of to kind of find your way to what is what is right for me. Right, right, that's, exactly, right. Yeah, I think uh, that's the thing is that the whole black and white notion of cults is a very tough, tough thing to separate yourself from. Well, also, I don't know if this is true of every cult, but. I, I have a feeling it might be uh, very, very fear-based. If That's you correct. Don't, if right. you don't stay with the party line, something truly horrific is going to happen to you. That's uh, could, absolutely correct, right. Could you talk a little about your particular upbringing and what terrible things you you had to uh, yes. contemplate right. <laughs> because, right. because a fear-based religion right. for a child too is different than for an adult. That's right. Um, well, we believe that Jesus was returning any minute um, and specifically in 1975. And there, but before Jesus returns, you know, according to the book of Revelations and the book of Matthew and so on, that um, there would be these terrible things that would happen on earth. And by the way, there are people right this second who are pretty convinced that what's happening in Israel right now is the, the, going to be the forerunner for Jesus to return. Um, so anytime there's unrest or anything like that in the world, we were convinced it was indicative that Jesus was returning. And when Jesus returned, we would be spirited away to a place of safety. Um, and we believe that place to be Jordan, which I wrote about, Petra specifically in Jordan. And if you were left behind, you were left behind to all of the horrors here in, on this earth. So the fear really was not, not being raptured and also not making it into the next world when Jesus returned. Hmm. And so there's an irony in your story from my view, which is that you actually went to study in Israel to get closer to that. That's right. Uh, but it ended up exposing you to an entirely different reality. Um, interesting crossovers, but very different reality that That's you right. hadn't really considered, did, had you? No, I hadn't. I, I didn't know any Jews. I Well, it turned out I did actually know some Jews, but I didn't know they were Jewish. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I wasn't keyed in on all of those cultural differences and the names and so on. Um, so I really didn't know 
that Jews kind of con- con- continued to exist, even as a religion. I mean, I guess I knew, but I sort of knew, but not really. Um, so you weren't to, tuned in. I wasn't at all tuned in. I mean, you you can't small town Southern Indiana. Everybody was Christian and white, basically, and so I really didn't give a lot of thought to be honest, to Hindus or Buddhists or Jews or pretty much anybody, you know? Um, so, yeah, meeting Jews was quite quite uh, a surprise. What are they doing here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think of that a lot when I, when I contemplate that part of the world, that it's everybody's, not everybody's, but several major uh, faith traditions, that is their sacred place. That's right. And yet nobody can get along. You know, there's such a commonality. Everyone's Uh, sacred sacred place is the same place. And yet um, so much dispute. Right. It's it's kind of um, heartbreaking. It is. I agree. Um, So let's just give people a little little taste of the book, if you would. Could you share a little bit of the introduction? And uh, you had mentioned before we got on... um, you know, as we were communicating, uh, where do, where is the beginning? And uh, that really resonates with me. You can take your story back to the beginning of history, you know, right, <laughs> if you have right. the time and inclination. That's right, that's um, right. And so maybe you could say a word too about how you decided where to start. You know, I really had so many different beginnings to this memoir, and each time I had one, I was like, ooh, this is it, this is it. But what I realized was, um, if I started in my childhood, uh, growing up in this this church, then I had to talk about my parents' childhoods, because that it was directly related to their childhoods. Mm. Um, and so then I had to go back to that. But people want to meet me. If this is my memoir, then I sh- can't really start with my parents. I could. So I, I realized that there was, I needed to introduce myself um, to the reader. And after I wrote the memoir, actually, the, after I wrote the entire memoir, I decided to go back and do the introduction. And I originally started it with uh, the line, this is a story about blood. And I really liked that as an opening line. My editor took it out, um, which happens. <laughs> I know. Um, and, but the reason Speaking of things we're attached I to that we have to let go of. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the reason I wanted it to be about blood was because, you know, there's, there's our ancestral blood, which is so much of who we are, whether we like it or don't like it. And, and then there's Jesus' blood that is supposed to save you. Um, and if you don't believe that he shed his blood for you, then you're not going to get saved. And then, but I started out with a different scene, which is about blood. And that's what I'm going to read now. On a warm slipping into autumn, New York City morning in September, 1988, just before my 27th birthday, I realized my period was a day late or maybe even two days late. I wasn't rigorous about keeping track of it. My period was like my bank account. If it was within my mental ballpark, I didn't worry. But then it was three days late and five days, and finally my younger sister Sarah said, you know, you might be pregnant. I don't think so. Denial was one of my trademark characteristics. But in this case, I had reason not to be too concerned. My boyfriend Celia was 14 years older than me and had been married before, 
A doctor had told him and his then wife that he was infertile. When I met Selig, I was 22 and had just moved to New York City from my hometown in Southern Indiana. I was ambivalent about marriage, kids, or commitments of any kind, the residue of growing up the seventh of 11 children in the Worldwide Church of God, a small apocalyptic doomsday faith whose ministers shouted, brethren, Satan roams society like a lion seeking to devour you. God has raised up this church to warn the world that the end times are coming. Who would choose to bring kids into a world that was coming to an end very soon? So once, just once, Selig and I were careless about birth control. Take a pregnancy test, Sarah urged. The blood never came. That and was that's really, the introduction. That, that I, having then gone on to read the whole memoir, what a, what a moment of reckoning and a moment of decision-making for things that were kind of in the background up to that point, yes? That's right. Yes, that's right. I wasn't I was not at all actively thinking about having a child. And uh, it it stood out to me that there was this sense of with you and your boyfriend both boyfriend at the time both in your different ways still wanting to be a part of your families and communities. Uh, you know, how we, uh, I, I thought of this struggle from the point of view of people who come out, but they want to be loved by their family, right? Absolutely. <laughs> they want still, to still be part that's of. That's right. And sometimes that's a real tricky equation. Um, and of course, his family, a Jewish family, and and pretty uh, observant, you know, rabbi father and all, right. um, couldn't in some ways be more different from your family. So how did how did you? I know something about how you navigated it from the book, but what was that like to realize? Oh no, this through this child, we're now all connected. You know, um, it it was. Listen, it was definitely challenging at times, but I will say that the fact that my family lived in Indiana and my in-laws lived in Florida and I lived in New York, <laughs> let me tell you, geographical distance is not a bad thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, I didn't have to worry, you know, I'll have my, my in-laws to, you know, for Shabbat dinner and I'll invite my parents for Shabbat dinner. It just didn't happen. They weren't ever here at the same time. But something did happen after my mother-in-law passed away. I was um, helping my sister-in-law clear out her house. And, I f and also when my mother passed away, the same thing happened. My mother-in-law and my mother corresponded. And they sent each other, you know, Mother's Day cards and birthday cards. And they caught up on each other's lives in that old-fashioned letter-writing way that they had. And I found it incredibly, incredibly moving and touching. They never told me. It wasn't something they did for me. It was just wow. them. Oh, that's so, beautiful. Yeah, it was I'm really thinking, lovely. I'm thinking about my son-in-law, who's um, the son of... of Persian immigrants, and uh, when when he got serious about my daughter, it was a big problem because we were lesbians. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. But um, because families get married, right, in, in that tradition, uh -huh. and as soon as they came to terms with that, then the relationship became 
very sweet because right. then they had decided we were going to be family, if that makes sense. It does. That's lovely. Um, you know, we, we wish each other happy birthday. We, uh, happy Mother's Day just happened a few day ago, right. days ago. Um, there, once you get over the hump <laughs> right, right. that someone is from a hugely different situation, it can be quite sweet. And it was a, it was a very entertaining wedding, as you can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But right. um, I, I thought of that as I was reading, you know, these uh-huh. such different traditions. But somehow your family must have moved a little past uh, what you grew up with in terms of uh, your in or your out. Right. I mean, I think that they, uh, my siblings actually all left this cult. My, one of my sisters stayed longer than the others, but the others ultimately all left. We still, we make jokes about, um, you know, did you get left behind? Where are you? Did you go to Petra without us and um, (laughs) the place of safety? Um, But my siblings went on to either nothing or to another form of Christianity. Um, And my parents were always very supportive and curious about Judaism. uh, And I was very fortunate because I know that there are many families that are not so supportive. Well, it was interesting to me that in a sense, your particular childhood religion hearkened back to Judaism. Right. That is right. uh, In terms of the holidays and uh, some of the underlying beliefs right it did that is right um but but people weren't necessarily aware of that um i don't i think they were sort of again i think they were sort of aware and sort of not what aware i i guess is what i would say they were then that did give you a sense of the familiar for instance right you went to it did uh, to israel Israel. right it did it did It's time for our first break, so let's come back and talk more after the break. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Angela Himsel, you can go to AngelaHimsel.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, 
follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Angela Himsel, the author of A River Could Be a Tree. And, you know, we've been talking uh, around uh, and and through some of the traditions or beliefs you grew up with. I thought it might be good to start with, uh, start this segment with, um, you know, part of the book that captures a bit that how it was what you did as children you know what you sure. did as a family when you were a kid could you could you share that i could um i'll read a bit i wanted just to mention that we believe that jesus was jewish obviously he was and that he observed the jewish holidays so we did as well and we observed you know the feast of tabernacles we observed um yom kippur the day of atonement sukkot the same as Feast of Tabernacles um, and Passover, but with a Christian twist. We also observed Saturday as the Sabbath. We were the only ones, by the way, in our community who were in this church. So the rest of my family, my extended family, was Catholic and Lutheran. And um, so while everybody else was doing whatever they were doing on Saturday, we were going to church uh, an hour and a half away in Evansville, Indiana. So Um, This is a little bit about going to church. If Sunday belonged to family, then Saturday, the seventh day of the week, belonged to God. The Sabbath began at sunset Friday night and ended at sunset Saturday night. On any Friday night, as the sun set behind the red barn and after we'd eaten the usual fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy for supper, we then ten children gathered in the living room for Friday night prayer and Bible study. We took turns reading aloud from the church's children's Bible stories. The gray softbacked books retold biblical events and were illustrated with black and white drawings. Innocent Job covered in boils, though he was sinless. Lot's wife looking back over her shoulder, though warned not to, her eyes wide and frightened before being turned into a pillar of salt, God's punishment for her disobedience. Joseph, full of himself in the multicolored coat that got him into so much trouble. I loved the stories, loved thinking about them and trying to figure them out. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his jealous brothers and then ransomed into slavery in Egypt. God destroyed the world in the flood and only Noah and his family survived. Cain killed Abel, his own brother. They were harsh stories and within them, God walked and talked and communicated with people. I was a literal-minded child, and I imagined God hanging out in their neighborhood, popping up on the street unexpectedly. I wished God would do that still, show up at this courthouse square in Jasper, or maybe just appear in the backyard while we were playing Red Rover. 
Friday evening ended with us kneeling at the couch and chairs, heads bowed, and our father led the prayer. We thank you, great God, for your Sabbath and for all of the spiritual blessings you've given us. And we pray that you will continue to bless us and open our minds to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I added my own private prayer, that my parents would get along, that my extended family would join our church so we could all be saved, that I would get into the kingdom, and that I would receive God's Holy Spirit. You know, growing up with a minister dad, uh-huh. I was always trying to figure out, like they'd say uh, in my particular um, upbringing, God is within, and I was always trying to figure out, like, where? Right. <laughs> literal, <laughs> literal-minded. You were literal-minded yes, as well. Yes, so that right. really connected for yes. me. Uh, you know, I don't know that I ever actually asked anybody. Uh-huh. I, I just, uh, because that, that would seem to be sort of too questioning in a way. Absolutely. Questioning uh, but means you don't have faith. So, yeah. To, to a degree. Even though my, my parents were pretty open to being questioned, later, later, much later, my dad actually told me he was agnostic. He just was Christian because he was born in a Christian country. Wow. But, wow. Um, but, you know, I didn't feel at liberty to say, what do you mean God's within? Or what do you mean, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean Jesus is the son of God. This isn't making sense. Uh, yeah. Just like, well, I must not understand something that's very obvious. Right. Yeah, I think that's what happens is that you think everybody else has figured it out and you're the one who hasn't. So you don't want to be the dummy. Who's asking questions, you know, when everybody else knows it, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so that, that really brought a smile to my face, remembering that, that um, usually late night musing I'd have. The day <laughs> right. was done right. and yeah. being in bed and thinking, hmm. The other thing that kind of uh, caught my attention is even though uh, from the outside, people might consider um, your your family, your extended family, quite homogeneous. Right. In fact, there was a huge difference, and it it caught my interest that your parents actually uh, maybe even dealt with that a little bit by choosing a religion that wasn't either one of their family's religion. Right, that's right. My my. Um mother's family was Catholic and my father's family was Lutheran. And in the 1950s, this was, I mean, basically the Reformation happened yesterday. And this was Martin Luther and the Pope, you know, duking it out all over again in, in Jasper, Indiana. So it was quite, it was really considered, um, it was considered a mixed marriage, let's just say a Catholic and a Lutheran. And they started listening to some radio evangelists, and they discovered Herbert Armstrong. And um, Herbert Armstrong really seemed to have an answer to everything. Speaking of all of these questions that we have, you know, if you ask him, he would give you an answer. And, you know, we all like to have answers. And my parents, they, I guess they liked the answers that they were getting from Herbert Armstrong. And then they both ultimately joined the Worldwide Church of God and uh, not much to their parents' dismay. Um, yeah. And yet, on the other hand, neither religion got chosen. I think that that was deliberate also, because um, 
if it's one of those strange things if you if you are going to reject one religion then you don't join the enemy and and catholics <laughs> and lutherans were kind of still sort of enemies you didn't cross over you talked to each other and that sort of thing but a catholic wasn't necessarily going to become a lutheran and a lutheran wasn't going to become a catholic they could both be become baptists that would be fine um <laughs> but i'm not saying it didn't happen but i actually understand trying to find something that's neither one so you neither can one. Uh -huh. you can just piss off both of sets of parents at the same time you know yes and yet i can see that we do keep uh, certain aspects. I, I was thinking a lot as I was reading, what have I kept from that early training? Uh -huh. uh, you know, I've kept things like Jesus loves the little children, all the children right. of the world, you know, I've kept, right. <laughs> there's things yeah. I've kept. Um, your parents kept having a lot of children, That's for right. instance. That's right. <laughs> yes, they did. My mother was the, yeah, the Catholic. She was That's the right. instigator of that one. <laughs> I, I don't I never ask. It's one of those questions you don't ask. <laughs> oh, I don't want I'd to really, know. I'd really like to talk with you. Um, you know, when you have an ironclad belief system and then something terrible happens that doesn't um, doesn't reinforce that belief system. Right. Uh, it's a real crisis. And finding an explanation for it, you know, uh, I'm sure you've read the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. That's right. uh -huh. um, it's a challenge to your belief system, 100%. And I wanted to talk with you about your sister's death. Right. Because to me, that would be a crisis, right? If, if God is supposed to, you pray enough and all that, then everything comes out okay. That's a a terrible uh, affront to that belief, isn't it? That's, that's right. I mean, I think that, look, when, when bad things happen, and they always do happen, they're going to happen to everybody, whether you like it or not. Um, and, and what you do with that, uh, what you do with that, uh, how do you understand it? How do you reconcile it? Do you say then that there's no God, which is what some people do? Um, or do you say this is God's will, which I have a hard time with? Um, or, or do you just try to reconcile it in whatever way? I'm not sure that you can reconcile it truthfully in a religious kind of a way. But in my case, um, if something bad happened, you were usually at fault. You didn't pray enough. You didn't believe enough. Oh. So blaming, the, it's victim blaming. I mean, blaming the victim for bringing it on him or herself worked really well. So when Jesus didn't return in 1975, it was our fault. It was the church's fault because we hadn't prayed enough and we hadn't fasted enough. We hadn't tithed enough. Tithing was a big thing. Uh, and that was another reason it was such a cult was because of that corruption. Right. But um, I think that blaming the victim is, is uh, and, and talk about, you know, what you bring with you. I really do fight against doing that to myself then sometimes yes. you just have to accept that things happen that are out of your control and don't blame yourself for something that really is not within your control. Right. And then the irony of your sister's circumstance is that you can't actually know whether sticking to, to prayer alone impacted 
That's absolutely right. Right. And so then there's this ironic or paradoxical um, impact that um, I imagine you've thought about a lot. I have. I have. I actually, when I uh, was writing this memoir, my parents were still alive and I actually did talk to them very gingerly, I would say, about it. And, um, you know, it's a very tough conversation to have that did she get the medical attention that she could have gotten or should have gotten or was it even available or because people do die even when they get medical attention. Absolutely. They, they, they do. No way so, to right. be to know, actually. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. And so I, I think that um, that is definitely something that has haunted my siblings and me and perhaps my parents as well. Uh, but I think that they they actually did what a lot of people do when they're coming from this cultish background, which is they dig in even further um, because it's just too hard to imagine mm. that they um, that they put all of this effort and this money, their own daughter, for nothing, you know? Um, so they kind of dug in even harder afterwards. But I got the sense... You know, I I thought you just did a magnificent job of capturing the circuitous route to you um, converting to Judaism. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I really appreciated that there were unconscious aspects of it and then right. conscious and then there was a point of decision and all that. But I could imagine at, in some way there were events that contributed to you being a questioner. Um, right. Not just um, following the party line on through your life, would you say? There definitely were. And I think that being a woman is something that really made me question. The title of my book is A River Could Be a Tree. And I should mention that it's a, I know it's a quirky title. It comes from a phrase in the book, and it is that I would push back against the church's you know, what I believed believed and still believe to be an anti-woman stance. And they believe that women should be at home with the children, you know, heterosexual, all of that. And my, I pushed back and I said, you know, I don't think that just because men and women are supposed to be help meets, it doesn't mean that one is superior to the other. And um, my father said to me, you know, God created a role for everything in the universe. Men have their roles. Women have their roles. What would happen if a river thought it could be a tree? And so I pulled that line, a river could be a tree, for the title because I really wanted to suggest possibility. And within the church, I didn't find there was a lot of possibility if you were a woman. And that is probably was one of the major reasons I really started to question because it just didn't seem fair and it didn't (laughs) seem right. And I thought God is supposed to be the God of both men and women. Like, you know, what is this? So I think that when something threatens you individually, I, I do think that's when you, it's one thing when I didn't agree with the church that homosexual, homosexuality was wrong. I was like, whatever, but when it's something affects you personally, it's like, hmm, I think I might have a problem with that. <laughs> oh, that's such, a, that's such an apt uh, 
apt sentence there because uh of course i'm i'm immersed in um because i have a very diverse family life and right as you know i'm part of the lgbtq community too um it's that moment that maybe happened this year to an extent where someone something that personally affects someone else starts affecting you personally right <laughs> you yes know? that's exactly. that's not doesn't always happen does it right no it doesn't and it's funny because you know you can be ever so empathetic to everybody else and feel so terrible about it but you, you know we're all kind of selfish i suppose at heart and really uh, unless they're taking something of mine away i feel bad they're taking something of yours but i really feel bad if they're taking something of mine you know ah <laughs> uh, would that we could you know, put a blanket of empathy over the yes. universe. <laughs> uh, uh, from your mouth to God's ears, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the other thing that stood out, I had some, uh, I've, I've had people close to me who are Jewish my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, including, I remembered a friend I had in junior high school who I'd, I'd go over for um, Sab- uh, Shabbat. Uh-huh. Um, but I had a very distorted impression, apparently, of Orthodox Judaism. Uh-huh. And um, we're, it's almost time for the break, but I really want to talk about, because that's, I always considered it quite a conservative um, religious tradition. Uh-huh. But it seemed like there was quite a bit of room in it. Uh, you know, you didn't get, you weren't married when you had your first child, but it seemed like there was a great deal of acceptance. Right. Um, they wanted you to convert, but they were going to love you in the meantime, it right. seemed to me. Yes. Is I that accurate? It's accurate. It's, it's a little complicated, and we should definitely talk about it because there are many different, you know, iterations of Orthodox Jews in the news. And, and I think it's important to be able to differentiate between the ultra-Orthodox, the modern Orthodox, uh, Hasidic and so on, because they are different. They are different. Yeah, I felt I felt I felt like I got uh, broadened by that. Uh-huh. So let's take a break and then come back and talk about that. I agree. It's good to put it out there. Okay, <laughs> listeners, it's time for the second break, and you can find me at weatheringgrief.com or. At the Good Grief host page, there's a link there to buy my novel, An Ocean Between Them. And to find Angela Himsel, you can go to Angela Himsel, H-I-M-S-E-L dot com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening. 
listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Angela Himsel, the author of A River Could Be a Tree. And Angela, we had gotten on to talking about um, my misapprehensions somewhat of um, Orthodox Judaism. And of course, that happens to me all the time. My my family uh, is American Baptist, which is not the same as Southern Baptist. Right. And so I'll say to someone, yeah, I was raised American Baptist, and they'll think I don't drink, and I don't, you know, all these right, things. Right. And it, and actually, no, none of that is true. Right. Um, so I, I felt it might be somewhat like that. Could you talk a bit more about that? Sure. I mean, um, you know, um, to be Jewish is to be many different things. And, you, and one, one of the things I do like about Judaism, there's many things, but one is that you know, it's a culture, it's a history, it's a religion. There are people who identify with it culturally, but they don't particularly believe in God. There are people who identify with it historically because of maybe because their family went through the Holocaust. Um, so you can identify and you can identify all three ways, obviously. Um, and my husband's family really were modern Orthodox for the most part. And modern Orthodox Jews are they basically feel that we live in a modern world. We should, we should read Shakespeare. We should go to the theater. We should do all of those things uh, and still be Jewish. You can just be Jewish and also live in the modern world. Sometimes it's difficult, by the way, because, you know, if you're observing the Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, you're not, you're not going to parties on Friday night and so on. So for modern Orthodox Jews, it, it can be difficult, um, but not everybody is um, as, uh, I think there's a little more wiggle room, let's just say, in terms of just, they're modern. They, they live in this world. They know what this world is about. They're in therapy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're all in therapy, that's trust the, me. That's the telling. There you go. <laughs> right. They're all in therapy. So, um, so religion is an important part of their life, but it's not their only identity. And I do think that my book, I, I wanted it to be about identity, and it is about the identity that we're born with and then the identity that we choose for ourselves, however way we choose that kind of identity, or maybe the identity was really chosen for us and we just reach out and we claim something that was really um, meant to be, let's just say. Um, so, so there are many different ways of being Jewish, that is for sure. Do you feel as if uh, I wondered about this because you did in your in your uh, the story doesn't begin a certain place and it doesn't end a certain place either in your epilogue uh-huh. uh, you kind of fast forwarded your right. life beyond the point of of um, making this choice uh, but do you find that as life goes on? Um, people identify you as uh, a Jew more than they did when you first converted? You know, how do people perceive you within that community? 
Um, I mean, I think that, look, people are aware that I'm, I'm a convert and I am the first to say it because there's no shame in it. There's nothing wrong with being a convert. It's totally fine with me, but I get what you're saying, meaning I, but I really actually do think, uh, and this isn't, and this, I don't mean this as a negative, but like if somebody is an immigrant, let's just say, because I feel like in a way I'm an immigrant to Judaism. Mm -hmm. And if you're an immigrant, you kind of, maybe you still have an accent. Maybe you're not, people recognize that you're an immigrant, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And I think that people recognize that I'm an immigrant to a certain extent, but you can accept somebody and totally like be fine with them while at the same time acknowledging that they came to Judaism in a different route than you did. And I actually think a lot of people find it, um, you know, so many Jews who, for whom being Jewish is difficult, they'd say, why would you, why would you convert? <laughs> like, you know, like, what, what a silly thing for you to do. Uh, like, we, I wouldn't convert if I were not Jewish. If I weren't born Jewish, I wouldn't convert. So it's interesting to me also that other aspect, because I guess I've found something. It's, again, like an immigrant. I found something in my new faith that people who have been born into it, maybe they don't see and they don't appreciate you know you know i'm laughing because of course i've heard that so many times why would you choose to be a lesbian right (laughs) (laughs) it's such a hard life i heard that from my parents at first right Um, Uh. but you know if you if you embrace an identity if you say this is me this feels right right. uh this is who i am the the question is a bit ridiculous isn't it Absolutely, it is. And also, you're still you, no matter what, whatever other, you know, whatever uh, other, I'm a New Yorker, but I'm really from Indiana. I'm Jewish, (laughs) but I was raised Christian. Um, But I'm still me. You know, all of those many, many different identities, they still are just me. Yes, I I resonate with that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, I want to ask you to read um, the part of your book about eating children, Um, not because it's in line with what we're talking about, but because it captures, you know, so much what you grew up with and said goodbye to um, that I that I think it would be great to share that. Sure. And by the way, Jews don't talk about eating children, which is really another plus in their (laughs) column. Another plus, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'm going to read a bit from this. For years, the question nagged at me. If my parents had to choose one of us 10 kids to eat, who would it be? It was a Saturday in 1968, and I was seven, sitting in church in a long row with my family, listening to another sermon. In the end times, the time of the Great Tribulation, the minister shouted from the pulpit, there will be mass murder, Corpses will litter the streets, and the world will reek of the stench of dead bodies. This was the fate of those who in the end times had been left behind at Jesus' second coming and hadn't made it to the place of safety. Jesus will return like a thief in the night. Do not slumber, do not sleep, do not let your love wax cold. The great God is going to spank this world, and he is going to spank hard. Worldwide droughts, starvation, Parents will eat their children. Alarmed and with a terrible sense of foreboding, I wondered which of our parents, us, our parents would devour first. 
A girl and skinny, I was hardly worth killing. Mary, four years older than me, was the nicest, always helping others finish their chores. They wouldn't eat her. Wanda was the oldest and bossy. My parents wouldn't dare eat her. Probably one of my older brothers. They were always in trouble. Jim did not close his eyes during opening and closing prayers, and Ed made blasphemous jokes about prayer cloths. These small white flannel cloths came from church headquarters in California. Someone there, an evangelist or perhaps Mr. Armstrong himself, prayed on the cloth, thus making it a prayer cloth, then sending it to ailing members, including me, when I had pneumonia. One woman believed that it could also repair her car and asked the minister for a prayer cloth so it would stop stalling. After hearing about this, whenever our car rattled or steam rose from the radiator, Ed would mutter an irreverent prayer cloth. I worried that if I were slumbering when Jesus returned, the rest of the brethren would be lifted into the sky and transported on wings of eagles to a place of safety, according to the book of Revelation. Herbert Armstrong had identified that place as Petra in Jordan. According to the church's booklet, this is Petra, the ancient Jordanian city locked in by mountains and carved almost entirely of stone was the place of safety. Some members of the church were actively looking forward to living in caves. That, that very idea that you and your siblings would be trying to figure out if we all got left behind, who would, who would our parents eat? <laughs> It's such exactly. a radical, uh, radically know. disturbing. Right. Well, <laughs> my mother, my mother had a good sense of humor, and when I was right, I wrote a section of this, and actually was published in the New York Times. And so I decided to ask her who she would have eaten. And she, <laughs> so she said to me, she said, "Well, maybe after one, I might be hungry and eat another one." <laughs> She would have run through the whole, the whole bunch of you. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Oh, what a what a thing to grow up with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and then she could have said afterwards, and and good thing there were so many of you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you think I had eleven kids? <laughs> so your children, I imagine. They're adults. They probably read your book. Yes. Um, my daughter did. I don't think my two sons have. I think they're worried there's something in there they're going to be very uncomfortable with. Which which could be true, I guess. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Exactly. But, um, uh, you know, they, they know your history to some extent, whether they know every detail. What do you think their takeaway is from the the change you made in your own life to be more completely yourself, I guess. Um, I think that my, my kids have seen me in Indiana around my parents. They've seen me in New York. And I hope anyway that they do see that as an integrated self. Because um, one time my daughter said that when I'm in Indiana, I'm different. Uh, she didn't mean that religiously. She, she meant it more that I drop the G's at the end of my words, you know, I'm going to town instead of going. Uh, but I think that that represents something else as well, which is like you said earlier, some of these things stay with us. And I'm sure that they 
still see some traces of Christianity within me in, in some sense. Um, but I also think that they never knew me as a Christian. So I don't, I don't think that they, um, I think they would be very surprised to see me in that setting, except mm-hmm. for reading about it, let's say. Well, and how do you differentiate between the religious community you grew up in and family you grew up in and just what happens with any, anyone that goes back home, so to speak? Right. Where you kind of um, reincorporate ways, ways of being. That That's right. You, uh, including, you know, ways of talking and arguments, certain arguments. And, right. You know, that seems very common in a more general sense than just the change of, of um, religious practice that you. That's right. But I do tell my kids whenever anything goes wrong, which is like printers or, or a cell phone's not working or the TV remote isn't working, I'll just say to them, you know, it's demons. And um, so now that's become, <laughs> that's become one time my son texted me and said that something wasn't working. And I said, that's terrible. And he just texted back and he said, demons. So um, they have definitely picked up that aspect. They picked up a few things like that along <laughs> exactly. the way. Uh-huh. Exactly. Good to be able to laugh about it now anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, just as a last a, a last thing to touch on, because we're almost out of time, um, I, I've had this habit over time of picking and choosing. I'm, I guess I'm sort of ecumenical. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, some of the things I picked, for instance, when my wife died, I um, we sat Shiva, uh-huh. uh, regardless of the fact that I'm not Jewish. Right was so meaningful. Uh-huh. Uh, I've gone to satyrs a lot. So do you retain, like that's a, that's a case in which I um, <laughs> sort of ha- cherry-picked other traditions that resonated for me. Uh-huh. Um, do you ever go back to any of the things you grew up with? Do you carry them along? I don't think so, but I think one thing I did internalize, I would say, and one of big difference maybe, let's just say, and this is such a generalization, and I know that there's many people who are going to disagree, but I'll say it anyway, uh, and that is that um, with Christianity, you know, Christianity views Jesus as like their personal savior. It's a very personal religion. It's between me and Jesus, me, you know, mm-hmm. with Judaism, God's a little more distant. I like, I like closeness. So I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've held on to a notion that God is close by. I don't believe in Jesus, but I think God is close by. And I do think that that is far more a Christian concept than a Jewish one. Hmm, that's very interesting. Well, it's been great having you today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for coming to Good Grief. Thank you for having me. Uh, to find Angela Himsel again, you can go to AngelaHimsel.com. Next week, I'll have Lisa Goich, author of 14 Days, A Mother, A Daughter, A Two-Week Goodbye. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.